It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk about the 2022 Oscar winners. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me as always is Gardner. Can I just say I'm actually excited to talk about the movies of the Oscars. And joining us this week is our friend and recurring guest, Kari. Kari, thanks for joining us here. You know, usually opening a show with Beyonce is a great way to let you know that it can only go downhill from here. This was the rare exception. Glad to be here. Let's, let's talk about it. Awesome. So audiences will remember Kari from our previous episode where he came on to discuss Spiral, the newest installment in the Saw franchise, which released last year. That was episode number five of this podcast. So if you missed it, check it out. This is this week's bonus mini-sode where we are discussing the winners of the 2022 Academy Awards. As a reminder, on this podcast, we talk about movies we love and interview independent filmmakers. Every Friday, we release a full episode usually with a guest, and we're doing bonus episodes on Wednesdays. This is the bonus episode this week. Then on Friday, we have our full-length episode where we will be interviewing Gavin Rothery about his career. Gavin is known for working on the sci-fi film Moon, as well as directing his own feature film Archive, which was released in 2020. That interview is one of the best we've ever done, so stay tuned for that, dropping in two days. Last week, we did a full-length episode where we interviewed recurring guests, Glenn Triggs, about his new film, Dreams of Paper and Ink. That was another great episode, so check it out. And on last week's bonus episode, we discussed the new horror slasher film, X, which is in theaters now. So check out all our old episodes and get excited for our new ones. Now that that's out of the way, we can get into our discussion of the Oscar winners. But first, elephant in the room, we have to mention the slap. Let's do that now. Starting with you, Kari, what did you think of the whole slap situation? I mean the yeah the the slaps in it the slapping a lot of names for it i could not believe it i mean i think i texted you duncan as soon as it happened because there have been so many weird skits in uh, the oscars so far my first thought was like wow that was extremely well executed and then obviously the sound cuts out will smith did one of the best mouthing of words i've ever seen before because you could tell with no audio exactly what he was saying and suddenly it was like, oh, this is not, <laughs> this is not a skit. Did not see that coming at all. And I rewatched it today. There was a joke earlier in the show that one of the hosts made about uh, Will Smith and, and um, Jada having an open marriage, which I think is the one that started the fire. Because you can see she's trying to get him on stage and he's, he refuses to get up out of his chair. And I think finally that's when you start to see him like, get a little bit more angry i think underrated aspect of uh of stoking it up but you know he's been the butt of the joke for a while i think he was maybe a little fed up probably a little drunk and you know just couldn't take it anymore but first hit will smith had in a while so it was good to see that shout out to chris rock for taking that like a champ and shout out to his you know upcoming tour where he will have so much material that he won't even know what to do with it. So, you know, I think everyone here is a winner, really, with the exception of 
of Will Smith, who now everyone forgot his Oscar award and will only remember his open face slap midair. So very conflicted, but you know what? I'm just excited that there's something to talk about after the Oscars. Yeah, good way to get people who weren't necessarily already interested in the Oscars interested. But I'll get to my thoughts in a second. Gardner, what's your take on Slapgate? I think he should just change his name to L. Smith at this point. Dude, this is rough. Uh, like you said, Kari, first hit he's had in years. To be fair, I did not see King Richard. So I do not know how great his performance was and, and how deserving he was of that Oscar. Kari has given me one of these kind of flip-floppy hand signals. So maybe it wasn't the best. I'm sure he gave a good performance. He's Will Smith. But yeah, that was really disappointing. And I think Chris Rock handled it as well as anybody could have. I don't I know my composure. I would have either run off stage or I would have started firing off more Jada jokes. You know, it could have gone one of two ways. And for him to hold back and just keep going was really admirable. I know a lot of people have different feelings on the joke itself. And I'll give it to you that it was probably in poor taste. But uh, I just don't think that that was the appropriate reaction. Of course, he issued an apology earlier today, or should I say his PR team issued an apology. But yeah, like you said, Kari, it was just, you know, it was entertaining and it got people to pay attention to the Oscars. So my my thing with it is, is it overshadowed a lot of the winners who I'm really excited to talk about as we get further into this episode, because I think there were a lot of there were some snubs and there were a lot of winners that I was happy about. Yeah, for sure. Excited to get into the actual winners of it all. And I will say when we talk about getting those people who aren't necessarily interested in the Oscars to begin with now talking about it, maybe you're right, Gardner. Is that even what we want in general? Because if you're not interested in the Oscars, that's fine. That's not something that I don't think people need to force on you. And if you are interested in the Oscars, you're interested in it for the awards. You're interested to see who wins. You want you have guys you're pulling for. You have teams you're pulling for. When I say guys, I mean you have both actors and actresses that you're pulling for, of course. And you're interested in the actual awards, which is, I mean, it should sound obvious, but when you watch an actual Oscars production, it seems like they don't know that. And I will say that this did bring some attention to it for basically everyone. I know Twitter was buzzing, for example, but it took eyes away from the actual aspects of it. Just like I think in a lot of ways, those skits they do all the time. Like I do not understand the skits of it all. I'm not the first person to say this, but I could go on and on about the actual Oscars themselves and what they're doing to fight against the people who actually care about them. But that's not what this episode is going to be about. I will briefly talk about the Chris Rock, Will Smith incident. I want to start by saying an aspect that gets lost in this is I don't think there's anything to be ashamed about with being in a life partnership with someone. There's still in love right but they're not romantically involved anymore i don't think that will's taking an l for if for example the august alcina incident because i think that he has every chance if he wants to go do the same so i don't like it's it's not that kind of relationship anymore so i just want to start by saying that i don't think it's necessarily as big of an l in that situation like i think it's fine to be in love with someone and not be romantically involved with them anymore especially after years and you know having children together like you're in different points of your life now i get that so i do want to start by saying that the actual incident of it all i think that chris rock handled it as good as you can like we were saying you could fire off more jokes i saw someone on twitter say that he could have ended the entire night by just saying if this is how maddie is in march imagine how maddie is in august yeah or or you want me to keep your wife's name out your mouth you should have told august to keep your wife out of his mouth i saw that one too 
yeah, so obviously he could have gone that route. He was just stunned. And I remember immediately because everyone knows that I do this podcast and that I'm into the Oscars. So I'm getting text messages, not just from you, Kari, who is obviously interested in it, but from people who either were watching half-heartedly or are now just turning it on because of this and are texting me, is this real, this, that, and the other. And I'm telling them from the get-go, oh, that was real. That was definitely real because when I'm watching it live, I see the stuff, the broadcast start cutting back and forth, the audio cut out, the same things that you were mentioning, Kari. And I look to the people I'm watching with, I'm like, something just happened. They're cutting around something right now. And then it cuts directly to, like you were saying, Kari, the best lip reading of all time of keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth, which is just, I saw that. I was like, yeah, I, to- I was like, let's play that back. And we played it back like five times. So then we watched the rest of the Oscars on about a five minute delay because we kept watching it over and over again. And that's when we were like, because everyone has noticed it on Twitter now, but we were like, he's laughing at the beginning too. You can tell that either it doesn't register what's going on right away or immediately afterwards, she's pushing him again. I didn't know, Kari, about that previous joke that, that they cut to them and you could see kind of the similar reaction where she was trying to get him on stage. I think it's an L for her in this case then, in my opinion. I think that, that she needs to, I don't know, like what century are we in that like you need, that we, like the husband needs to fight the battles? Like, I don't know. Do you think she said something? I don't think she did. You don't think so? I thought that's where you were going with that when you were saying she was kind of eyeing him to get on stage the first time. I mean, maybe she shot him a look, but I doubt she was like, you know, you better defend my honor or anything. I think it was more of him just being like, fuck it, you know. <laughs> maybe he chugged a mojito backstage with Bradley Cooper and, and he was feeling it a little bit. I don't know what it was, but I don't, I don't think Jada actually like said anything to get him to go. I think he just was feeling the moment. I definitely think she shot him a look or there was some sort of communication that went on because he was laughing at the joke at first and then it cuts away back to Chris Rock and then he goes, "Uh oh, and then it cuts back and you see Will walking up there. So there was something that prompted him to go up there. You know, either he was laughing just because he hadn't processed the joke yet and he was just, you know, being polite or he was actually like she gave him a look and he's like, "Okay, I got to do something. I saw a lot online, like comparing this to the obvious, you know, Kanye Taylor Swift incident. I got to be honest. I think this this ranks a little bit above it for me as as crazy as it was for Kanye to hop on the stage. Like the altercation, the fact that he came up again 15 minutes later, I think, you know, shout out to Kanye, who had the throne for a while. Craziest, you know, incident during an award show in the 21st century. But I think Will Smith's got the belt now. Yeah, I saw a post earlier that was like, if you had told me earlier today that a Grammy nominated rapper would be getting flamed for publicly assaulting a comedian, I would have put all of my money on Kanye West. (laughs) Yeah, so. uh... Nope. So it happened at the Oscars. We have to mention it. But other than that, I think we'll move on to what we actually want to talk about, which is the awards of it all. Maybe we'll touch a little bit on it again when we talk about Will Smith winning his award. Because I think something I want to mention some things about the speech, maybe, and about Kari, you mentioned the overshadowing of this award that he's I haven't seen the movie either, but he's deserving of an Oscar at some point. And they give out the lifetime achievement awards, whether or not this is his best performance, I can't tell you. It is just what they do. Kari again is saying not his best performance. I would say that he's given some really good ones, so it would have shocked me if this was the best. But they do do that. They give out the Lifetime Awards, and you got to be okay with that if you're into the Oscars. 
I have said on this podcast before that I wasn't a big fan of Leo's performance in The Revenant, and I love Leo in a lot of other performances. So, you know what? It happens. I think it ends up taking away awards from people who should have won those certain years. For example, I think Denzel was amazing this year in Tragedy of Macbeth. He wasn't even the second favorite. So, again, I know that when we did our predictions, we, we, we mentioned that our snubs weren't necessarily the snubs that were going to win it or going to be nominated, but the snubs in our own mind. So in my mind, I probably would have given it to Denzel for that one. But we may touch on it later. Let's get into the actual winners. Like I said, I'm glad that we got that out of the way at the beginning. Also, someone who won an award that, speaking of Lifetime Achievement Awards, uh, Samuel L. Jackson got an Oscar Sunday night, and it was given to him by Denzel, or presented to him by Denzel. No one's talking about that. I'm I'm happy for him. I think it's awesome. I think that's long overdue. Yeah, definitely. And I think that I would like to see him get one of the either Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor awards at some point, because I think that he deserves one of those as well. But you're right. We're not going to touch on those types of awards or like the In Memoriam, for example. We do apologize and rest in peace to everyone, obviously. But we're not going to have time to touch on those types of things during this podcast. So that's a good point to mention that now. That's well-deserved and very cool that two icons got to share that moment. Yeah, I agree. I think it was good for Samuel L. Jackson. I'm glad that alongside Will Smith, they gave out two Lifetime Achievement Awards that night. So it's good for him. And okay, we just real quick, we're not going to talk about the slap the entire night, but people also mentioned that when he presented the award, Samuel L. Jackson, to Will Smith and Will Smith got on stage, he gave him the biggest like what's up, hug, dap up of all time. Like, and people are saying like, as if he was thinking, I've wanted to slap the shit out of Chris Rock for years, <laughs> which I think is more of a like, awesome for you. So glad that you finally got this type of hug. He's happy for his fellow actor but it is a funny read on that just had to mention it real quick yeah they probably wouldn't have made spiral together if they hated each other but you know who knows bringing it back to kari's first appearance true true i should have thought of that so on to the awards we are going to start with best visual effects the winner of this is paul lambert tristan miles brian connor and gerd nevzer i apologize if i mispronounced anyone's names for dune i will say that i'm glad dune did well at the oscars we will definitely get to more of their award-winning aspects of that film but as far as the other films on the list i know we might not have them all pulled up i'm not going to go through all the nominees because we did go through the nominees on our previous episode but as i'm looking at the list i would have preferred dune to win this award over anything else any other comments from you guys I think you're spot on. I think, you know, the, the visual effects are great in in movies like Shang-Chi and, and Spider-Man, but um, there's there's a certain otherworldliness and, and freshness to the visual effects that we get in Dune. And a lot of that has to do with the cinematography and the way that they're presented. But yeah, I, I would have picked this one over everything else. Yeah, two thoughts only on this. One, I think this is the only category where I saw every movie, so... I'm glad I prepped ac- uh, adequately for this. And then two, I think this award, I feel like always goes to the movie that like swings the hardest for it. So while all these, I think all these movies did pretty well on visual effects, but Dune just has more difficult visual effects that they need to do than Free Guy, you know? So I think it's just because they have 
you know, because they're shooting for, you know, the moon rather than something closer than the moon. I think they, <laughs> I could have done a Dune reference there, I guess, but um, it just, it allowed them to kind of show their skills a little bit more than some of the other films, but all deserving. Uh, and I think Dune, I think the, the best person won that award. So good for Dune. Our next award is best production design. This award goes to production designer Patrice Vermette and sec decorator Zuzana Sipos. That is for Dune. Another win for Dune, best production design. Again, I think that not to knock any of the other films, because I think that this one also could have probably gone to other films. I do think that I'm glad that Dune won. I mean, I love the movie. So I'm going to be a little bit of a homer on this one, but I was excited for the movie. I said on the last podcast that we spoke about the Oscars that it was my most anticipated movie of 2021. I love the book. I was primed to like this. So I'm going to root for it in the Oscars. So I was happy to see it win Best Production Design as well. Production design was astounding to me in this movie, the way that they captured the scale of Arrakis, the scale of the universe, the highliners, the ornithopters, uh, Arakeen City, it was it was mind blowing. The costumes and the sets. Yeah, I, I would have picked Dune here too. Yeah, I I can't disagree. Only comment is Power of the Dog nominated really production design. All right, um, but it's it's uh, for the best that Dune won again. Just like difficult stuff they got to pull off. The visuals all executed very well. So shout out to Patrice Vermette. You deserved it. And Kari, we can get to, I know I've spoken to you off air about some of your opinions of The Power of the Dog. Maybe during the Best Picture talk, I know it didn't win that, a little spoiler for that, but we can talk a little bit about your thoughts on that. And I know there's a specific question I have for you about the actual winner, who we'll get to. So a little stay tuned for the audience for that. We'll drop that in later. But now it is on to our next award, which is Best Makeup and Hairstyling. The winners of this award were Linda Dowds, Stephanie Ingram, and Justin Raleigh for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I haven't seen this movie. It's definitely not up my alley. It won another award later that I was a little upset about, not to knock the winner of the award, but just because I was pulling for other nominees in the category. I haven't seen this movie, like I said, though, so not much to say about it. I would have loved to see Dune win again because I would have loved to see it just win for most awards that it was nominated for because I think it would have been fun. But I'll let you guys talk. So I have seen this movie and I really enjoyed it. I don't really know where this this uh, award is coming from. I mean, I, I definitely think it's good. That this movie got some accolades. I, I thought it was a great movie. Makeup and hairstyling, though, I feel like that's just going for what they did to Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye. I don't really see... I mean, Andrew Garfield, I mean, they made him look kind of like Jim Baker, but that was mostly through his voice, in my opinion. This one felt like a stretch. Yeah, this unfortunately was one of the movies I did not see as well. So just going to take my comment in a completely different direction. There's so many cool things about movies, not to discredit the makeup and the hairstyling, but I feel like there are some categories that were just not accurately represented in 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 film outside of the i want to say 13 just ballparking that they give out but yeah i looked at the poster hair and makeup look good so next up is best costume design the winner of this was 
Jenny Beaven for Cruella. I've talked about movies not being up my alley, which isn't a shot at the movies. They're just not made for me, and I can only see so many of them. There are so many movies that I do want to see that I end up missing out on that I can't make time for ones that are prequels to 101 Dalmatians, unfortunately. Not in my movie time budget, but I will say that I think that people have said that the costume design is good on this film and that maybe this is not an undeserving award. Again, Dune was nominated, so you want to hear my thoughts on it? It's that I would have liked to see Dune win, but I'm not going to keep talking about that. I actually, I did not think I was going to like this movie whatsoever. It was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Emma Stone is so charismatic. That's beside the point. The costume is, I mean, it's a movie about fashion. It's a movie about uh, designers. And in order to really sell that world, you have to knock the clothes out of the park. And I felt like they really did. It felt really authentic. And um, yeah, I think totally give this to Cruella. I don't, out of these other, I haven't seen Cyrano. I haven't seen West Side Story, but um, this doesn't offend me whatsoever. Yeah, the first half of this movie that I saw on the plane before I fell asleep was really good. So hopefully the second half like kept that up. Only thing I want to add is Jenny Beaven, who won, has been nominated for costume design 11 times. So she has been killing this. Did Sherlock Holmes, both of them, The King's Speech, Mad Max, Fury Road. So, you know, she's a heavy hitter there. Not surprising based on what I've seen from Corella. So good for her. I think she deserved it. So even more proof that it's probably a very well-deserving win. And congratulations to her. Next up, we have Best Sound. This award goes to Mac Ruth, Mark Mangini, Theo Green, Doug Hempfill, and Ron Bartlett for Dune. I think the sound in this is phenomenal. I know this time it's the winner, so I can talk about it. But it works, and it's kind of overwhelming in a good way, I would say. It kind of encompasses you. and helps tell the story too, I think. It is very essential to it. We love talking about sound on this podcast in general, but I definitely think that Dune is one that did it well. Some of the other ones, like West Side Story, are also good nominations for sure. When you talk about sound, it's I mean, that's a musical, obviously, and they did really, really cool stuff on that film. I have seen it now. I hadn't seen it when we did the nominations episode, and I will vouch for it being very well done. But other than that, glad that Dune took this one home. I think it was deserving. Yeah, I would have given it to Dune just for the scenes with the voice. When you're watching that in the theater, it's just mind blowing. So I haven't seen West Side Story yet, but I would have. I, my prediction was, oh, West Side Story is going to win. It's a musical. If it's if it's a good musical, then a lot of that comes down to the sound. And I was surprised to see it didn't win. Yeah, I've been listening, you know, my whole life, but this is just a tough category for me to gauge best sound. I mean, Dune sounded well. I know this. Pertinent here, given you all are listening to this podcast, but sound just not a big one for me. But you know, Dune, they did Dune sounded good. Power of the dog, really. Wow. All right. But yeah, I think No Time to Die had a really good soundtrack, slightly different, I guess. So I'm okay with Dune getting this one. Again, I think tough to tough to gauge this really as a as a common viewer, but uh sound wasn't bad for Dune, so no qualms. Speaking of the soundtrack of No Time to Die. The next award is Best Original Song, which went to Music and Lyric by Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell for No Time to Die from No Time to Die. I didn't really like any of these songs. 
I just have to come out and say it. I didn't really care for any of the nominated songs that much. They didn't really do it for me in a way where I thought they were award-winning. I think they're all fine. I probably would have gone with something from Encanto just because that was a musical and I did enjoy it for what it was. I know some people have problems with Encanto and some people don't even think that the music is that catchy. There were certain songs that I liked. I just didn't think any of these songs deserved to be called an Oscar winner, to be honest. They all seemed a little bland to me. But that's just my take. Everyone has their own musical opinions. Yeah, I haven't heard a single one of these songs, so that's my contribution. One thing I just want to say, Billie Eilish's full name is Billie Eilish Pirate Bard O'Connell. Just super fun to say. I thought this was a really good song. I think it kind of helped deliver a good amount of impact in the movie. Maybe it went to how they used it in some of the scenes in the Bond movie, which, spoiler, can we do spoilers here? Yes, but I would actually ask that you don't <laughs> spoil this movie for me. Well, if, you, if you're going to spoil it, I'll take my AirPods out and you can give me a thumbs up. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, man, so good. So I won't spoil it. Um, so, yeah, the way they used sound in the movie was really impressive. I think this song was just packed a punch. More so than Be Alive, No Offense, Beyonce, and I have not seen the others, but I thought this was deserving of a win. I think I said I agree with Duncan in a way that none of these were like, you know, my heart will go on level songs, but I think out of the out of the bunch, this was the best. So good for Billie Eilish, Pirate Barry O'Connell. Continuing with sound and things related to that, we have best original score up next. The winner of this was legend Hans Zimmer for Dune. This was one of the awards that people pointed to, and I think they all should be aired, but people were like, it's been almost two decades. Am I exaggerating there since he's won? It's a little bit less than that, but long time since he's won and we didn't even get to see it, which I think speaks to what we were talking about before about them changing the Oscars for people who aren't into movies and that hurting it for people who are into movies whatever little side note about my saltiness that we didn't get a speech but i'm so happy to this one i mean you guys shouldn't be shocked to hear that i'm a fan of dune winning another award especially after i've just talked about the sound being great in it and i think a lot of that has to do with the score and i'm just gonna call myself a hans zimmer fan so i'm rooting for him pretty much Unless there's another big name that I really like. I'm a big John Williams guy, too. So I might have to pull for John Williams if they're ever nominated against each other in the future. But other than that, I'm just very happy that he won and that dude won another award. So with that, I pass. Big Hans Zimmer fan. Glad to see him win. I can't believe it's been like almost two decades. He's put out some incredibly iconic scores since then. So for me, this is almost this is like another Lifetime Achievement Award. I didn't think the score in Dune was anything like that special it fit the world but it wasn't anything that i was like blown away by yeah i this i could see this i'm also a big nicholas bertel fan but i I like his work on succession i thought his work on don't look up was fine i wouldn't i didn't see him winning for this and i want to echo what you said duncan it pisses me off that the oscars these days are kind of for no one they're trying to cater to people who don't care about the oscars by adding in these montages and homages and trailers and stuff like that and then cutting out all the stuff that people who are actually interested in film want to see it's it's kind of a chore to watch honestly i 
tuned out for like a good 30 minutes and missed the slap and had to go back and watch it later. You know, that's, the, I don't know if what that says about me, that that's what brought me back in, but it also speaks to, you know, just how shitty the ceremonies are now. Yeah. Well, slaps will do that kind of wake you up. I agree. I'll touch on that just a little bit there, Gardner. I think, you know, for someone who wants to see the awards, I think they didn't even give out of the big four. They didn't even start them until 11, which was when it was projected to end. Like, I don't think best director was given out until like a little after 11. So it took so long to get to the awards. I kind of like the fluff, but it was just poorly done and too long. I thought, I don't know. It's other problems they have to solve there, but I agree. Hans, the legend, probably my second favorite Hans in, in film. The Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack is maybe my favorite soundtrack. That's just, or the score. That's just a musical. I think Social Network is still my favorite soundtrack. But in terms of the score, Pirates of the Caribbean, Unreal, which is Hans Zimmer. I could name off some of the other movies. The list is just too long. Well, Klaus Bedelt did the first movie. And Hans Zimmer did the next couple. Oh, is that true? Yep. Didn't he help with the first one? He might have done. He might have helped with like the uh, the main theme, but Klaus Klaus Bedelt did uh, like the actual score for the first movie. Good catch. My apologies, Klaus. And Jim Burkett was the first person hired by Gore Verbinski for that film. Shout out to our first interview ever, episode number two, with creator of Coherence, Jim Burkett, who was the storyboarding artist for Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, so Hans, in my opinion, very deserving. Some of these other movies on here. Glad to see him win. Unfortunate that we didn't actually get to see him win, but, you know, I think well-deserved. Next up, we have Best Documentary Short. The winner of this was The Queen of Basketball. I did not see any documentaries in 2021, so I will say congratulations to the winners and to the entire team behind The Queen of Basketball. I love basketball. Next up, we have Best Documentary Feature. The winner of this was Summer of Soul. Shout out to Questlove. That's true. Shout out to Questlove. I think that people were either behind Flea or Summer of Soul for this one. Yeah, I think... And I hate to just harp back on it, but unfortunately that Questlove had to go up and give that, you know, speech about five seconds after the incident we discussed at the beginning of the show. But, you know, good for him either way. Tough to power through that. I'm sure he was surprised like everyone else, but very, very moving speech about his parents. So good, good to see him win. Next up, we have Best International Feature. The winner of this is Drive My Car from Japan. What I'll say about this, because I haven't gotten the chance to watch Drive My Car yet because I have had a little bit of a busy schedule and it's a little bit of a longer film. I know I saw the Batman recently in theaters, but we were doing an episode on it. So I do have just as much patience for foreign films as I do a superhero movie, but I haven't had time for many three hour movies recently. So I haven't gotten to see Drive My Car. What I will say about this is there are three films in the five that I've seen get buzz in places that foreign films haven't gotten buzz in the past. So what I'll say is it's a positive for me that people have been talking about Drive My Car, people have been talking about Flea, and people have been talking about The Worst Person in the World a lot. Not just for Best International Feature, but for some of them, people wanted to win Best Feature in general, Best Picture. So that's not a shot at the hand of God from Italy or Lunana, a yak in the classroom from Bhutan, because I'm not saying that those films are any less good than the other three that I mentioned. 
but they didn't unfortunately have the same type of buzz around them during the year. So it is cool to see that we as film goers are becoming more open. And maybe that is because of Parasite in ways, which it's a shame that it takes something like that. Like you shouldn't have to have a masterpiece come through that everyone's talking about to get people interested in films that aren't American made or English spoken. But I'm glad it happened if it's gotten us to the air. I um so I haven't seen the other international features. I'm dying to watch Worst Person in the World, and I, I want to check them all out honestly, so I can really compare them to Drive My Car because I felt that Drive My Car was a really really compelling story and some tremendous performances. And uh, the thing that bugs me about it is is I do have patience for longer movies, but it felt like at times this movie didn't really earn a lot of the extra runtime that it had there were a lot of scenes that were just kind of plotting and slow and um, there was a little there was some exposition that I felt was a little heavy-handed and again some of that might come down to poor translations or something like that Uh, but that was just my personal experience with it I'm I'm happy for the team that worked on it it was clearly a labor of love but I didn't think it was like as I I went into it expecting like one of the best movies I'll ever see and and the hype just kind of soured me on it a little bit yeah that's unfortunate there's not too much i can add here unfortunately i've not seen any of these the drive my car is top of my list it's on hulu and my stuff to watch and just need to actually watch it now but i'm with duncan you know especially more recently given how some of these international movies has have been pushed mainstream it's it's kind of gotten me to get over my my dislike of subtitles in the in the theater to go out and see some of these movies more i know there's a lot of great films being made internationally that don't always get as much light as they should in the u.s so on all of us to try to do a better job at at getting these these great artist exposure so looking forward to knocking some of these out throughout the rest of the year and a little shout out to one of our friends a friend of the pod a former guest of the pod jeff who people will remember i challenge everyone who wants to complain about maybe a foreign film or a more artsy film to watch them. Watch the films and give them a chance and let them blow you away because there's a reason that people love these films. I know I've spoken about this in the past, but go back and watch those movies that people talk about as being great. So it doesn't matter that it came out in the 40s or the 70s. Watch Casablanca, dude. Watch Citizen Kane. These are good movies. They're artsy in a sense. I know people have problems with Casablanca and Citizen Kane. I think they're both well done. But go back and watch these movies. Watch the movies that are being nominated for Best Picture, even if they seem artsy or even if they're black and white or even if they don't have any dialogue. Check them out. And they're not always pretentious, I guess, is the best way to put it. Because I think that people would appreciate more movies if they open their eyes to it. And that's what people are doing with international films more now. And I think it's, like you said, Kari, a good thing. Off my soapbox now, let's get to Best Live Action Short. The winner of this was The Long Goodbye. I did not see any of these, although I'm a big fan of short films and would love for them to get more play in the market. You know, I don't think that they get the percentage of the market that they should as compared to feature films, just like documentaries, actually, maybe compared to non-documentary films. But I haven't seen any of these. I've seen more foreign live action short films this year, and I'm not sure if any of these are foreign, but... None of these are the ones that I have seen. So next up is Best Animated Short. The winner of this is The Windshield Wiper. Again, I don't want to repeat myself, but I haven't seen any of these either. One thing I will add, why did they stop 
putting these animated shorts at the beginning of films. Maybe I'm just going to see the wrong films or uh, maybe it's before I get there, but I miss those like nice three, four minute animated shorts. Um, now it's mostly just Marvel movies coming out. So I think Pixar d- still does it. They still do it. But they, they do their own shorts in front of them. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, that might be a situation where why doesn't the babysitter come watch you anymore either? And how come your mom doesn't make you eat vegetables anymore? You just don't watch those movies anymore because you've grown up. That could be it also. And that's why I haven't seen one in a while. Next up is Best Animated Feature. The winner of this was Encanto. I have seen this. I watched it with my sister. And I think people are more critical of films than I am because I just watched it and I was like, oh, that was fun. And it wasn't made for me. It's made for a younger audience, for sure. But the music was fine. I'm not a big Lin-Manuel Miranda guy by any stretch of the imagination. But this seems like him being restrained in some ways where he wasn't doing the I don't even know how to describe his style, but he wasn't doing his style as much. I find it a little bit annoying. I'm not really into his stuff. doesn't mean he's bad. It just means it's not up my alley. But I will say that the Mitchells versus the Machines got a lot of hype during the year for being really good. I never saw that. I did see Luca, which I thought was a fine Pixar movie. I think Pixar can really stand out a lot of times, and this wasn't one that stood out for me. So that's why I say it's fine. It wasn't bad. But I personally have a higher bar for Pixar because I think that they've reached some really high peaks in the past. And that's not just with their storytelling, but also with the way they've pioneered a lot of VFX in the industry and done things that are then later used by everyone, basically, to do things like hair, water, stuff like that. So my parting thoughts on Best Animated Feature is that good for Encanto. I saw it. So I didn't see any of these movies, so I'm not going to speak to each of them individually. But I want to push back on something you just said, Duncan, and, and that uh, the presenters at the Academy Awards explicitly said is that like animated films are for kids. Right. And they, they basically said like animated films are for kids to enjoy and for adults to like suffer through was what, you know, I'm paraphrasing one of the presenters. But that was kind of the sentiment. And I, I don't fully agree. I think there's a lot of animated content out there that is aimed specifically at adults and at times it's better than than comparable live action content and the fact that a lot of like the commercially distributed movies that are animated are aimed at kids doesn't mean that animation is is exclusively for kids i mean flea was nominated and that's not a movie for kids that is the only one though that's the only one but it's it's um i think that's a blind spot of the academy there's a lot of animated films and television and stuff that comes out that is could either be enjoyed by all audiences or is not explicitly aimed at kids and i don't like that stigma around animation because i feel animation a lot of people look at animation as some somehow like lesser than live action and to me it is just as valid and in a lot of and oftentimes can be better than its live action counterparts Yep. I also have not seen the films. So I'm going to go a little off book, similar to Gardner. I think you're right. I think that unfortunately you don't see that as much in film. Is that just due to, you know, this is the way things are? Is that because kids aren't good actors? And so to see kid representation in films, you have to draw them. Oh no, I, I can't answer that question. But I too would like to see more animated films geared toward you know, older audiences in the theater. Let's hope the Bob Berger movie 
that comes out later this year does well. Um, but I agree. I mean, I think you see it a lot in TV with like your family guy, Simpsons, Rick and Morty, et cetera, South Park. You just don't get that as much in, in theater. So I agree they should do more. I enjoy a good animated uh, animated show. And yeah, I mean, I saw a post lamenting exactly what you said, Gardner, that they don't nominate those films. And that's fair. They traditionally do nominate the kids' films. But I'm certainly a proponent of adult animation in general. Archer is one of my favorite shows ever. And I think it reaches some really high peaks. It has some lows, of course. But I totally agree with everything you're saying. I, I don't think that animation is for children only. I was saying Encanto was geared to a younger audience. I Okay, I see what you're saying. You're talking about like the movies that get the shorts in front of them typically are like Pixar and Disney movies that are aimed towards kids. Okay. Right. Like you wouldn't see an animated short really ever before like a Scorsese film. Right. Yeah. Or that's just about the first name that came to mind for like a live action serious type film. But, you know, any of those types of films, that's kind of where I was going. Yeah. Or even like um, like a like adult animation, like um, like Ghost in the Shell or something like that. Uh, if you see that in a theater, you're not going to get an animated short before it. That's like a film. Fuck, I'm, I'm going to walk that back. <laughs> not to say that these other movies aren't films, but it's it's a film targeted at an older audience. Very fair. So we actually got a lot of juice out of an award category that we necessarily didn't see a lot of. I did see two of them, which is more than anyone else. And we still got a good conversation out of that. I think that we had some interesting things. On to film editing, which was won by Joe Walker for Dune. They say that film editing is something that's hard to judge by at least a normal moviegoer, because if it's done really well, you don't notice it. I think that's how it works for me. Unless you're doing tricks like X, where it's explicitly for the audience to notice. And that's not just the only example. It's just the most recent example. Shout out to our last week's mini-sode. Check it out. Go watch X if you haven't seen it in theaters yet. Check out that mini-sode. We love talking about it. And you can find out if we loved the movie or not. I would say Don't Look Up is also an example of that, where the editing is very much there for you to notice it. It's very much a deliberate stylistic choice. And I had kind of said in our predictions episode, I could see this like, you know, being like a contender. But I'm glad it didn't win because... I don't I mean, it was it was impressive editing and it served like what they were trying to do with that movie. Well, but overall, that movie was like not the best movie. So I'm glad that it went to Dune, which is an inarguably better film. I agree and disagree. I mean, I mean, first, you know, film editing, to your point, Duncan, is kind of like a good kidnapping. Right. If you do it well, you'll never really know what happened. But to that point, like we were talking about with visual effects where the movies that get rewarded are typically the ones that like have you know a more difficult aim to fulfill which I thought don't look up did and I thought they actually did it really well Gardner to your point I mean obviously I think well Dune I think is a better movie I don't think it's a better movie by that much but I don't think the fact that don't look up is weak in other areas should take away from some of the film editing work so I I I thought it actually should have won this one over Dune that's a fair point I I did really like the editing in it and and you're not judging best film you're judging best film editing so if you feel that the editing in don't look up was more impressive than in dune which is kind of by the numbers it's it's well executed but it's not anything that you haven't seen before 
Whereas Don't Look Up was very adventurous. And if that's something that you value, it's like, oh, it was actually trying to do some new stuff. Then I think that's totally fair. Yeah, I was going to say a little crossover. It's like the slam dunk contest. You know, if someone is going to do a very average dunk well, good for them. But if I'm going to jump from the free throw line and dunk through my legs and I actually pull it off, like if the rest of me looks like crap, sure. But if (laughs) that portion is good, I should be rewarded for it. Yeah, you don't need to be able to shoot threes to win the slam dunk contest. Yeah. I will say that for me, it just doesn't work, his editing style. So that's why I would root for a different one. But I've said on the podcast and in person in the past that I'm always rooting for someone who has a style. So I'd rather a director lean more into their style. I know I've talked to you extensively about this, Kari. I've used Wes Anderson as a good example because I thought that French Dispatch was the most Wes Anderson stylistically that he's ever gone. And for me, that's a good thing, especially since I love his style. But even though I'm not into Adam McKay's style, I would say push him to keep doing that. I'd rather that instead of becoming the cookie cutter guy. I don't like that. I don't want you to be a director for hire. I want your films to have a style. I've always said, if you can tell a film is made by a certain director without being told it, just by watching it, I think that's a good thing. Unless it's like, oh, he's got the boom mic on, uh, in the frame again. This is definitely a Billy movie. That's a bad, that would be the one time or something like that. Or if it's like a really like shitty aspect of the film that's in all of them, obviously we don't want that. But stylistically, if you could tell, I think that's a good thing. So yeah, yeah, maybe don't look up would have been a better, better, funner, more adventurous pick. Just quickly on this, Dunk or Gardner, curious to get your thoughts because me and Duncan were talking about stylistically and whether or not you can go too far. I was saying, I think, you know, Adam McKay in this example and Christopher Nolan and some of the stuff he does goes a little too far using the analogy of like, it's like if you're cooking a dish and you add some garlic and it goes really well. And the next time you make it, you just dump in like a shit ton of garlic. That's just, it's not always better just because one thing that you added to the, to the dish tasted well, doesn't mean that it's the entire dish next time. So that's kind of my take on Nolan and McKay, like going to the extremes, but curious to hear your thoughts. I felt that way about don't look up in the sense that I love Adam McKay's style, like vice. I fucking love that movie. I love the way it's edited. I love the way it's paced. And for the first like half of don't look up, I was like, okay, yeah, this is like, I'm getting my like vice stylistic fix right now, but it just went a little too far for my taste. I was like, okay, you can start to tone this down a little bit. You're leaning into it. It was like, he was threw another clove of garlic in there. And I was like, dude, I can't taste anything else. That's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Next up, we have Best Cinematography. The winner of this was Greg Frazier for Dune again. This is the one that I kind of left a hint at earlier in this podcast when I said, I was rooting for Dune a lot, but the tragedy of Macbeth for cinematography, I feel like, is a no-brainer for me. And I don't know what the odds were. I don't remember if we mentioned them on our nominations episode, but... For me, I mean, the tragedy of Macbeth was a masterclass in cinematography. And you want to talk about giving it to the film that's doing something with it, right? I'm not saying Dune isn't, I mean, the cinematography in Dune is phenomenal. But half the story of the tragedy of Macbeth, I feel like, is the cinematography. 
and you could say that maybe about a lot of films because maybe that's always true actually but i would argue that the way this story is being told is through the cinematography half the time and it's doing really interesting things so for this one i was really rooting for the tragedy of macbeth even though i don't think it was by any means a favorite or i might have even been a long shot but i definitely thought that this one would have been cool if it went to the tragedy of macbeth because i don't think it was ever going to win any awards so this would have been the one that i would have liked for it to go into because i like the film a lot yeah so the um tragedy of macbeth and west side story are the only movies i haven't seen out of these nominees out of the ones I have seen, honestly, I would have probably taken Power of the Dog over Dune. I know that that's a hot take, but I just loved the landscapes and and a way a lot of like the one takes and things were done. To me, that worked really well. Dune is it's impressive to look at, absolutely, and um, the composition and everything is really well done. But I don't know, maybe I was just uh, hankering for a western. And uh, it was just it was just beautiful to look at throughout. Oh, wow. We got a real like first take kind of split here because I was going to say Nightmare Alley. I was thinking I really like the way they shot some of the scenes, especially kind of the first act to give like a carnival feel in the way like the shots they were shooting transitioned as Bradley Cooper's character like evolved through the story. I thought was really good. Power of the Dog, I agree, was was rock solid. I don't think it was anything like spectacular, but. I definitely thought it was well, did well and doing the same. So I can't speak to the tragedy of Macbeth or West Side Story. I've not seen either of those, but I thought the three others were deserving. Dune, you know, definitely uh, able to win this one. But I, I thought Nightmare Alley and, and Power of the Dog were both also good here. So similar, but I would have given it to Nightmare Alley. And a big shout out to Ari Wegner for The Power of the Dog. I know she has been pretty big force in the industry from what i understand and uh she's australian i believe as well going off what you said kari i think that so far out of the awards we've gone over and maybe going forward throughout all of them we'll see this is the category where top to bottom i think they all are really deserving of being nominated i have my opinions on who should have won but i really don't think you could argue that any of these aren't worthy of a nomination unless you have a sixth pick that you really, really think was just better than all five of them. I don't know which one you knock off, though, is kind of my point. I think you can kind of rank them all your own way. And that's partially why we had that first real split that you were talking about, Kari, is because I think it, you really could, can't go wrong in this category because all five of them were very well-deserving. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Okay, so next up, we are getting into a little bit of the more controversial ones. We have back-to-back two picks that feature movies that people really didn't like. Some people did, and I'll talk about how I'm actually one of them. But there's uh, been some real split down the middle on these two films. So let's get into it. These are the Screenplay Awards. So if you already know the winners, you'll know what I'm talking about. But we're going to start with Best Adapted Screenplay. The winner of this is Sion Heder for coda and this is a film that i was talking about some people really did not like and if you are familiar with what is maybe known as film twitter they're not big fans of coda they're big time snobs on coda and i know we've talked about in the past gardener that both you and i really liked this film and we've talked about how it's got a little bit of a predictable 
storyline. So maybe that'll be something we can talk about in it winning adapted screenplay. But I liked it a lot. And we'll get into later on another award that it won. But I don't see the hate for it. I do understand that there are some people in the community that think that it wasn't the best representation of them. But I'll say that at least people on the crew were from the community, right? So that's a good thing. I can't speak to the portrayal because I don't know what that is like. But I can say that for me, it worked as a movie and it had some of just the best performances. It's got some powerhouse actors in it. But with all that being said, as much as I did like this film and Gardner, I'll let you talk about how much you liked it as well, or I don't know how much you liked it, but a good amount, we'll see. I think Dune should have won this. You talked about how Dune is this unadaptable book for so long and how hard it was for David Lynch to do it and how this was going to be such a challenge for anyone to ever do it in the future. You'd have to do it as a miniseries, this, that, and the other. And he sort of cheated by doing two movies. I'll give you that. And there isn't necessarily a full ending to this movie, which is a reason that maybe I can see you saying it doesn't deserve to win for Best Adapted Screenplay. But I'll say that maybe not a positive, but the fact that it's using that non-ending in a smart way because it knows that it's not going to try to cram everything into one movie is actually going to, for me, maybe not make it a positive, but at least make it not a negative, that it has this quote-unquote no ending to it. But I think it was just, I mean, it's, dude, we've talked about it, Gardner, on the previous episode, that it's pretty much doomed. There's not that many huge changes to the story. And I think being able to do that and have it be executed so well is power to it. And I think that Dune was my pick for this one, for sure. But like I said, I'm a homer for Dune. I completely agree with you, Duncan, on, on both the things you said about, about Coda and about Dune. I think just the fact that Coda is has like a fairly predictable story structure, it's all down to the execution. And it was extremely well executed. You know, I, I don't care. Like Nightmare Alley was also fairly predictable. But it was really well done, and I really liked it. And for me, that's not a knock against Coda whatsoever. Having not read the source material, I can't speak about the quality of like the adaptation itself, but I can about Dune. And like you said, Duncan, people have described this as unadaptable, unwieldy, and it is an astounding achievement that they were able to, like you said, Duncan, give us Dune in movie form without sacrificing that much content. Uh, it doesn't bother me that it's split into two parts whatsoever, because if you had actually, you know, tried to adapt it all the way into one movie and like actually do it justice, it would have been four and a half hours long. And no one's going to sit there through that. You know, this isn't Lord of the Rings extended editions. Well, Duncan might have sat through it. I would have watched it in two or three parts. Yeah, I cannot really get mad at Coda for winning this because it was such a good screenplay. And film Twitter is a bunch of pretentious snobs anyway. But I feel like Dune probably should have taken this home. This is a tough, another one, tough one for me to evaluate. Is it the best screenplay that is adapted or is it the best adaptation of another work? Like, is, are we judging it based on how good the end product is or how impressive it was to take X and turn it into Y? Because I think if it's the latter, then Dune... I think would should be given more weight just because of how difficult it is to adapt something like that. I haven't read the book. I think I usually max out on like 300 pages. So Dune is too much for me, but I know it's tough to adapt something that long 
or are we judging it more on out of all the adapted work, how good was the screenplay as an end result? But I think either one, Power of the Dog should not have won. So I'm happy with that out- outcome. Um, and yeah, I think Dune, I might have to read the the book a little bit a little bit to appreciate how difficult it was. But even though they were splitting it up into two, I thought they did a mostly good job at it. I kind of have the viewpoint that they should have done put more effort in to give some kind of ending to the first movie that wasn't just to be continued so we could leave the theater with a little bit more fulfillment but either way I I, even though I didn't love Dune for a few different reasons I thought they probably deserved to win this one I will say if you're going to judge it and maybe this is the right way I think maybe it's the way I would on which is the best end product that is adapted my argument is that Dune is, if not better, just as good as all of the other nominees. And then because it is the hardest to adapt, that's like we were talking about with the editing, another trick that it's got under its sleeve that then boosts it up. Only That would only boost it up, in my opinion, if they were tied. Like if they were equal, then it comes into play and it's like, okay, now we can boost it up to be the one that deserves to win. But if they're not, it's not going to bump it up above it. Like if Coda is the better screenplay, just because Dune's harder, I wouldn't bump it up. But if they're equal, I'm bumping Dune up. And in my opinion, none of them are better than Dune. I'll take the argument that maybe some of them are just as good. But for me, at least, and I'm a homer on Dune. Trust me, I told you. I was my most anticipated movie of 2021. I loved the book. And for me, since I love the book and the story is the book, of course, I'm going to love the screenplay because it's the same thing. So... For me, that's where I stand on it, but I do agree with where you're coming from, Kari, and I think that's a good question. Which way are we evaluating it? And I would say the first, for me. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Probably a combination of the other two different factors. So next up is maybe the more hated film for Best Original Screenplay. We have the winner being Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. And the reason I say the more hated film is because Film Twitter hates both these films, but... Shout out to our former guest, Dave, who gets a lot of shout outs on this podcast for his two episodes he was on. But shout out to him for hating Belfast, but loving Coda. So even though Coda could win over some of film Twitter, who are not all snobs, because I will say that Dave is definitely not a snob, although a lot of people are snobs in film Twitter. Coda was able to win over some people and Belfast, it looks like all film Twitter was pretty adamantly hating. I am baby brained. I saw Belfast and was like, oh, wow, that was a good film. And I like Kenneth Branagh in general as an actor and as a director. Like, I think the Hercule Poirot movies are fun and I love a mystery anyway. I love Agatha Christie, so I'm primed to like those very up my alley, kind of like Dune is. Uh, You know, when you have Denis Villeneuve and a book that I love, combine that, of course, it's going to be up my alley. Same thing with those fun but not Oscar nominated movies, which are the Hercule Poirot movies. That Kenneth Branagh does. I think that's him just having fun on set. And I and I like those movies. So I'm a fan of his work. And I liked this movie. But not only do people not like this movie. But they've said this screenplay is one of the worst parts. Which is actually very similar to a past winner. Which was Promising Young Woman. Which a lot of people said that didn't like the film. Said not only was it a bad film. But the screenplay was the worst part of that movie as well. I'm not going to necessarily get into our thoughts on Promising Young Woman. Because... That's an older film, and we're talking about the 2022 winners, but there is some controversy here with Belfast winning it. So I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Did you guys see Belfast? I did not see Belfast. I'm just happy as long as Don't Look Up doesn't win Best Original Screenplay. 
Um, I thought, you know, out of everything here, and it's the only one I've seen out of this list, I thought it was a very weak screenplay. So I, yeah, that's how I feel about that. I don't really care. I did not see Belfast, unfortunately, although I want to watch it. They should just add all these to Netflix or something afterward. Let me just run through it on a Sunday. I agree, Gardner. Uh, Don't Look Up did not deserve this. And I have a lot of, a few issues with King Richard that I'll probably get into during the Will Smith category. For one, just being the viewpoint that you decided to take on a story like this. I mean, you talked about it on a similar one, but you don't want to tell the story of LeBron James to the viewpoint of his cousin who drives him to practice. I don't know why that was the route they decided to take. And then I have some other issues that I'll get into during that category, but only saw the two of these films with not great screenplays. So I, yeah, I didn't see Belfast, but I'm sure Kenneth Branagh deserved it. It is funny that I've talked about having people that you're rooting for or movies that you're rooting for, but you also have films that you want to win less awards and films that you want to specifically not win certain awards. And we've seen that where Kari's rooting against, and we'll get into it, King Richard and the power of the dog in certain categories, it seems like. And I will note that Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza, that's who I was rooting for. I'm a big Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I have talked about this extensively on the podcast before, but I didn't think Licorice Pizza was his best film. But like we've said, and like, again, Dave said, with him, it's good or great. So, or it's great or phenomenal, actually, is what it is. It's not good or great. They're all great. And then there's, are they one of the best films that you've seen in years? So that's my take on Paul Thomas Anderson. And he's never won an Oscar. So it would have been very cool for him to win for Licorice Pizza. I know I just kind of said all that about Paul Thomas Anderson as if it's fact. It's obviously just my opinion on him that he's that good but I really do love all his films. So Boogie Nights, one of my favorite ever. Okay, next up, we got one of the big ones for us on GDT. Best actor in a supporting role. This went to our man, Troy Kotzer for Coda. Best performance all year. Absolutely, without a doubt, in my opinion, our listeners will remember from the nominations episode that we said this, and we said on the podcast, best bet, for the Oscars, Troy Kotzer. At the time, I'll have to listen back to it. I believe he was around plus 300. He became the odds-on favorite later on after winning all the other awards, or at least most of them, I believe. I shouldn't say all of them. But he became the favorite. Writing was on the wall. He won. He deserved it. And uh, maybe you made some money if you listened to us. And what a speech. What an incredible speech. Uh, it was fantastic. I was so happy to see him up there. Duncan and I were rooting for him big time. You'll know that if you listen to the predictions episode. This was the highlight of the night for me. I was so happy for him. And uh, also genius for him to get up there and give a long speech. Because what are they going to do? Play him off? How's he going to know? That was awesome, dude. And um, I'm glad they didn't. Because like this was, this was the highlight of the night for me. I got a lot of thoughts on this category. For one, I did not see Coda. Uh, that's on my list as well. But. To Gardner's point, fantastic speech. I think it was probably my favorite of the night. I do, I've been spending the last 10 minutes trying to find the name of the translator person who was both the person doing the sign language and the one conveying the emotions to the crowd who gave a great performance right there, like on the spot, you know, trying to capture all the emotions that he's feeling on stage, just underrated aspect of it. 
that I wanted to give some attention to and really impressive. I couldn't, I couldn't find your name, but that was a, a great performance. Um, so I can't comment on how well Troy, uh, Troy Kotzer did, but I did see Power of the Dog and Being the Ricardos. I thought J.K. Simmons gave a really good performance. Oscar worthy, I don't know, but I thought it was really good. And Cody Smith McPhee, who I think opened as the favorite, I thought actually deserved to win this award as much as I thought Power the Dog was, you know, a slice of cheese pizza. I think his performance was the one piece of pepperoni that like fell off from a different slice. It was like my favorite part of the of the thing, although Benedict Cumberbatch was obviously really good. But I thought Cody Smith McPhee did fantastic in the role. I, I thought he kind of deserved to win this one, but I guess I didn't see Coda. Um, and Jesse Plemons, who I typically really like, there's actually a new movie that he's in on Hulu with Jason Siegel. Um, that's just a really good, like, slice of life movie. Oh, not really slice of life, but shot over a single day. So I'd recommend checking that out. Jesse Plemons, who's usually really good, did not think he was really given an Oscar winning performance here. I don't know how he, again, snuck in, but uh yeah Troy Kotzer I think he deserved it based on what I heard but Cody Smith McPhee I think should have was equally as deserving so disappointed that he didn't win I almost booed you off the stage when you're going on about he should have won should have won and you had just said you haven't seen Coda dude don't do that to me man Troy Kotzer definitely deserved this I've seen them both overacting from Cody Smith McPhee I was not only rooting for Troy Kotzer I was actually rooting avidly against Cody Smith McPhee I did not like his performance and I will speak to being the Ricardos. I thought that movie stunk it up big time. And I did not like a lot of the aspects of it, which I won't necessarily get too much into. Maybe I'll mention it in the best actor category. Maybe not. But Jesse Plemons and J.K. Simmons, it felt like they were like, all right, what are two nominated movies? And who are two actors that we like? Okay, there we go. Jesse Plemons, great actor. J.K. Simmons. One of my favorite actors. That's not a knock at Jesse Plemons that I just said J.K. Simmons was one of my favorites that I didn't say Plemons was. But neither of them are doing like Oscar worthy performances, in my opinion. Those aren't like, what are we doing here? But yeah, I just got to say at the end again, just really happy for Troy Coatser. And I almost booed you off the stage, Kari, but you did say at the end that you haven't seen Coda. So you, you gave that caveat. So I didn't have to come in and, and, and remove you from the podcast forcibly or virtually slap you. Next up, we have. Best Actress in a Supporting Role, which was one of the biggest favorites. Two more big favorites coming up, but one of the biggest here was Ariana DeBose, who won for West Side Story. So congratulations to Ariana DeBose. I think she was great in this. I didn't really have any pick that I was super into. I spoke about in the past that the Judy Dench nomination, I think she was great in Belfast, but it felt like they have their guys and Judy Dench is one of their guys. And... Belfast is a nominated movie, so they went with her. So the other ones, Kirsten Dunst, I mean, she was not given a lot to do in The Power of the Dog. I don't I don't understand that nomination whatsoever. It felt like they wanted to. It felt like they thought that The Power of the Dog was going to be this powerhouse that was going to win all the awards, so then the voters were giving it nominations for everything, and then it ended up with one. But the other two... The Lost Daughter and King Richard, I haven't seen. I think I've heard actually some good things about Anjanu Ellis in King Richard. Um, I will let you speak to that, Kari, when we get to you. But I'll say that I think that Ariane DeBose definitely deserved to win this award because no one else really stuck out to me. That's without me seeing The Lost Daughter or King Richard. So if Jesse Buckley or Anjanu Ellis were really, really, really good in that, then I'm wrong. But as far as Judy Dench and Kirsten Dunst go, 
they were not better than Ariana DeBose. So congratulations to Ariana DeBose. So the only movie I've seen out of this list was Power of the Dog. And I agree with you, Duncan. Kirsten Dunst just had nothing to do in this movie. She she did her damnedest, but uh, I don't know why she was nominated. Yeah, I agree. Kirsten Dunst, if you have like a broom with like clothing on it, probably can put up like 40% of the performance that Kirsten Dunst did in, in this movie, at least. I don't, I don't know how she got nominated. I agree. Anjanu Ellis, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, I thought did actually do a pretty good job in King Richard. There, you can tell, and I'll get to this a little bit more on Best Actor, that her and Will Smith are kind of going for the Oscar. There's, if you just go watch the scene in the kitchen, it's as if they wrote it themselves and practiced it uh, in the mirror, uh, which I'm sure Will Smith did. But yeah, so can't really speak to this one as much. And I agree kind of, Duncan, Hopefully, once I watch the remainder of these, someone will jump out. But Best Supporting Actress is usually a pretty good, like a pretty powerhouse category. Unfortunately, just because women are given a lot of supporting roles in a lot of big films that they end up stacking this category with pretty good performances. And this does not appear to be one of those years. Um, So hopefully I'll watch it and that changes. But yeah, Andrew Ellis, I guess I'd give it to. um, But I haven't seen West Side Story either. So. Awesome. Totally agree with you, Kari, other than the fact that I haven't seen King Richard, so I can't speak to whether that was deserving. Next up is Best Actor in a Leading Role. The winner of this was Will Smith for King Richard. So I want to talk about the speech a little bit, but this was the odds-on favorite from the beginning. I actually thought after watching The Power of the Dog that Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be the favorite, and he wasn't. And if you'll remember... From our nominations episode, I said that maybe if you wanted some good value, Benedict Cumberbatch at plus 350 was a good pick. Obviously, he would have just lost money there, but I still think that, you know, you never know with him. Denzel Washington, though, who would have been my pick for this, was a long shot. He was never going to win it. He obviously has already won. I have mentioned that all of these actors have been nominated before for a Oscar, not all for a leading role, I don't believe, but all nominated for an Oscar. Maybe all for a leading role, actually. But yeah, Will Smith won. Going into it after the lead up, everyone knew Will Smith was going to win this. It would have been a really big upset had he not. And we spoke about it being a Lifetime Achievement Award. And we spoke about how he's had better performances in the past. But I will say, no real huge snub, in my opinion, based on who is going to win. Because Denzel was never going to win... And I think he acted his ass off. I mean, it's Denzel Washington, right? I mean, he's never given a bad performance. He's never going to give a bad performance. He's always going to be Denzel Washington. So, of course, he was great in The Tragedy of Macbeth, but it was a role that you can sink your teeth into. So when you give Denzel one of those roles, I think it's like, hell yeah, let's give this some awards for sure. And I'm a big proponent of The Tragedy of Macbeth. I think it's great. And I would have loved to see it win both cinematography and best actor in a leading role. On to Will Smith. I said to the people I was watching with, he could have gone on forever because the Oscars knew that everyone was watching. Everyone was watching that speech and he could have gone on forever. He said the same thing like five different times. He was crying. If you thought it was scripted beforehand, that should have cemented it for you that it sure as hell was not scripted because that was raw emotion there. I'm not saying Will Smith is a bad actor. But he wasn't pulling that performance right there. That was real emotion. And I think he would have scripted it a little bit differently too. And I loved that there was more quote unquote technical difficulties, which was actually a technical working 
aspects where they had to cut away and they just put the Oscars logo up instead of his face because he was, as he said, spitting, apparently. I don't know if there's an uncut version of that that's on maybe one of the foreign broadcasts because I know that the slap aired on the foreign broadcast and I was able to see that both on the Japanese and the Australian telecasts. But I don't know if there is a version where we can see him spitting and what that exactly looked like. But I'm picturing it like dripping from his mouth because he's like sad crying or ugly crying, I should say. And I just think it was a weird speech, man. And it was very like it felt from the past for sure, where it was like, I'm going to protect these women like the, I needed to be this protector on set. I thought it was a little he was trying to speak nicely of Anjanu Alice, but he was like calling her like delicate and stuff, which isn't the nicest thing to say about someone and like saying basically she needed protecting. And if I was her, I would kind of be like, actually, I'm good. Will Smith. It was very it felt old fashioned to me and it felt very trying to justify what just happened because I bet we were talking about it before, like overshadowing his big night. I guarantee you he woke up the next day like, why did I do that, man? Everyone's talking about the slap and no one's talking about my big night and people would have been talking about it that would have been one of the things that people were actually talking about would have been the will smith win because it would have been other than that one of the most boring and worstly put together oscars of all time if not the worst people are saying put together oscars of all time which ended up being about a half an hour longer than last year's oscars even with all the fucking things that they did to cut out things that people wanted to see they ended up 30 minutes longer like you said kari they literally started the awards that are the big ones, the big five, after the slotted time for the show to end, which is ridiculous. So those are all my complaints, not only with the awards, but with Will Smith's, in my opinion, weird speech. I also think it's weird to say that God basically told you to go slap Chris Rock in the face. I saw a tweet that was like, I hate when God tells me to slap the shit out of Chris Rock. It's one of my top five least favorite things he asked me to do. And I cracked up at that. So shout out to whoever wrote that tweet. But seriously, I don't know. I'd love to hear your guys' opinions on this because we'll talk about you guys can talk about first who you think should have won. Was he deserving? And then please tell me about your opinions on the speech, because like I said, weird in my opinion. And not that I don't see where it's coming from, because it's clearly him trying to justify what just happened. But a weird justification, in my opinion. I wasn't mad at all about the fact that he won. I'm sure he gave a great performance. I wasn't like huge on on rooting for anybody else to win. But I agree. It was a bizarre speech. And him talking about, you know, like standing up for his family and protecting people. And and um, he almost had like a messiah complex up there, which was really off-putting for me. And all this moral grandstanding after literally not just a lot of people are saying, oh, assault. But no, that was battery, dude. Like he actually hit the guy. Uh, assault would just be if he got up in his face. So to be this, you know, presenting yourself as some sort of messiah figure whatsoever, in this clearly, you know, un unrehearsed speech, I guess he couldn't give the speech that he was planning to give after slapping the shit out of Chris Rock. It was just a weird moment. And it just really I haven't liked uh, Will Smith uh, for a while as a person. I think he's a great actor, um, but there's some stuff with his ties to Scientology and, and things like that that are really off putting. And this to me just kind of was like, okay, yeah, he's like, at this point, he's just a completely out of touch, rich guy who thinks that he's so important, you know, talking about what we do and, and what I've got to be for my people. It's like, dude, you just think that you are God's gift to the world. And that kind of attitude is just extremely off putting to me. And um, now I don't even know if I want to watch King Richard, like, I, I probably will. But yeah, not a fan of the speech. 
be careful at your highest moments. That's when the devil comes for you. So my grandpa always said, um, no, I think after all that, allowing him to still go up and give that big speech to everyone who really cared about the Oscars, it's like, uh, it's like, um, ah, I can't forget the terminology for, for what that, what that would be, but, mm. uh, no, in all seriousness, I have a lot to, a lot to say about this award. I remember while I was watching King Richard, I remember thinking as soon as the the scene comes up with the Oscar scene, and if you've seen the movie, you know the scene I'm talking about. I remember thinking like, oh shit, like Will Smith is going to win the Oscar for this. Like that's that's him giving the little clip right there. I think it helped that there wasn't another like, you know, banger performance among the other actors. Um, and, you know, I was joking earlier about Lifetime Achievement, but he has been and i'm a will smith fan i don't know him that well as a person obviously we've only met a few times but um as an actor i think he's really good and i think he's had some great roles where he deserved it i don't think this is his best i actually went through and ranked my favorite will smith performances number one ali number two i am legend number three independence day number four hitch number five hancock Number six, slapping Chris Rock, and number seven, King Richard. So it's it's pretty it's pretty low on the list for me. Um, so I don't know if he really deserved it for this. Surprisingly, I actually thought Andrew Garfield's performance in Tick Tick Boom was really good. I don't know if anyone has even really seen it or really knows anything about Jonathan Larson, the person. But if you do, it gives the performance the fact that he was able to. I get so close on a lot of the mannerisms, the singing. Like, I thought it was impressive in a way that I don't know if if King Richard really was. But Javier Javier Bardem, great. Benedict Cumberbatch, great. And I don't think either of them were quite as good, which is what opened the door. Um, so in the end, I think, was Will Smith, like, by far and away the best? No. But when you add in all the cumulative losses he's taken, that kind of bumped him up. I think it probably was the right call. And then Duncan, just looping back to the speech, I agree. Like the first thing he says is like trying to equate what he did to like Richard Williams, the character who also was kind of like an abusive father. So I'm not sure you want to go up there and be like Joe Jackson would have done the same thing. It's like, that's not a positive. He just, he seemed kind of out of it. He was half, thank you, half, I'm sorry, half, I'm God. And it was just a hodgepodge of shit. Um, so I think he's going to wake up and think there are a lot of things he could have done differently. This, this slap obviously won, but the speech probably right below it. So, you know, a lot of mixed emotions. I'm glad Will Smith got an Oscar. People are going to th- think about this night as the night that Chris Rock got slapped. And then fun fact, Will Smith also won an Oscar that night. So it sucks to <laughs> sucks for him that, Probably his only Oscar of his career will be overshadowed by, um, you know, the battery on stage. But, you know, my favorite moment of the Oscars and glad to see him win. So, yeah, I'm I'm okay with how it turned out. I will say that I'm glad that Javier Bardem didn't win. I would have been very upset if that happened. You don't like being the Ricardos? No, and I specifically didn't like him. I don't even think his performance was that bad. I don't think it was Oscar worthy, but I'm not going to get into too much of it. But I don't love Javier Bardem's casting or... The fact that he was nominated, and I would have been upset had he won. Yeah, casting is fair. I love uh, Aaron Sorkin, so it had his fingerprints all over it, which I enjoyed, to your point about style. I thought it was not too much Aaron Sorkin. I mean, definitely wasn't at all how that actually occurred. It was just him, like, 
doing the witty two lines of dialogue back and forth for two hours. And Javier Bardem, I thought, did a good job. Obviously, not as nearly as good as uh, No Country for Old Men. But yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, for me, Sorkin's one of those guys that's very hit or miss with his style, more often miss, and I think it's over the top. But again, I'm glad that he has a style. But I think a lot of it can be a little cheesy. So next up is Best Actress in a Leading Role. This went to Jessica Chastain, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I think this can also be maybe, I haven't seen the movie, so the one thing that is being praised is her performance, I think. But this feels like one where they were like, Jessica Chastain needs an Oscar as well, to me, because I think there were some really good performances. Everyone knows that Kristen Stewart is my shit for sure and i thought spencer was amazing so i was really pulling for kristen stewart in this one and my second pick would have been penelope cruz obviously if you've listened to the last i don't know five minutes you'll know that nicole kidman was not my pick i so eyes of tammy faye was the only movie i saw out of this list and i remember watching it and thinking wow jessica chastain did a really fantastic job but it never struck my mind that like, oh, she should win an Oscar for that performance. And then so to see her get nominated, I was kind of like, eh, OK, I don't know. I've heard a lot better things about Olivia Coleman and Penelope Cruz and Kristen Stewart. They'll probably be the ones to take it. So I was very surprised to see that she won this. Uh, you know, good for her. Uh, she's a great actress. I did think she gave a really fantastic performance, but this was a big surprise for me. This is where I think there should be more awards. You know, this is a perfect spot for a most improved player award, which would have went to Kirsten Stewart. If you saw her in Twilight as a literal corpse compared to the work she did in Spencer, which I actually thought was really good. You know, I think her acting has come a long way, something that's not considered, but maybe if you're listening to the Academy, something to throw in there in the future. So I only saw being the Ricardos and Spencer on this list. Nicole Kidman I, is actually, more recently, the more movies I watch, one of my favorite actresses. She's just always so good. She gets a lot of parts that maybe she shouldn't have had, one of these being Lucille Ball, um, which I thought could have went to some other actresses who would have done it better. But she's just such a good actress. She did a great job with it either way. And yeah, Chris, Kirsten Stewart, uh, Kristen Stewart did a great job as well portraying um diana i think there's always a little leg up that we give to these real life characters because there is an actual person you could compare their portrayal to so it's easier to know how well they did compared to some of the others who are portraying fictional characters so there's always i think that advantage there um i thought they both did uh, a really good job. Um, I did not see the eyes of Tammy Faye, so can't speak to Jessica Chastain's performance in that one. Although overall, she's a really good actress. So I had no real problems with how this category played out. Not sure I could have given it to Kristen Stewart quite. So I think the right person probably won. But I think we might be seeing a, a Kristen Stewart Oscar down the line. Probably could have got her at minus or plus 10,000 to never win after the first Twilight movie. So good for her. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Now, but it is interesting to note that, Kari, you said that people who are playing a real person, we are better at noticing how they're good. Six of the ten nominees are playing a real person in this. I think that's too many, in my opinion. I think we need to move back from that a little bit. 
because it's just too many. You know, I think we need to get more original performances. I think it's way more interesting for someone to be portraying a new character than to be playing someone else. And I say that as someone who's literally saying Kristen Stewart should have won for Spencer, but I think there's more to be said about a Penelope Cruz performance that's just a new character. She's creating a new character. She's not mimicking someone else. I think that that's more acting, honestly, in my opinion, is creating a character than being someone who exists already. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Next up, we have from beginning to end, the biggest favorite, betting-wise, buzz-wise, I'm talking best director. The winner was Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. I believe the first female director to ever win more than one best director. Or was she a Best Picture winner beforehand? I could be wrong on that. First woman to be nominated twice. For Best Director? Oh, that's even worse. Jesus Christ. We talked about another. That's like ridiculous. It's very low bar. We, talk, we talked about how it's like with Anissa, how it's like whenever you get one of those milestones, you're like, oh, that's good that it's happening now. But it's like, wait, it's how many? This is the first time since ever? Really? Okay. Wow. So shout out to Jane Campion for winning for The Power of the Dog. Like I said, was always the favorite was always going to happen this would have been the huge upset of the night had it not gone down like this i think that everyone i haven't seen drive my car but everyone is worthy of it in my opinion i know belfast got nominated kenneth branagh did but i thought that movie was good so i was fine with his nomination but paul thomas anderson jane campion steven spielberg definitely deserved to be nominated in my opinion at least I would go with Paul Thomas Anderson because, again, I'm a homer with him. I like his work, but Jane Campion did a great job with The Power of the Dog, so I'm definitely not upset about it. And I'm sure that Ryusuke Hamaguchi directed the shit out of Drive My Car. I just haven't seen it yet, unfortunately, so I can't speak to it. Yeah, I mean, did anyone think that Jane Campion wasn't going to win this? No, no big surprise here. I think she deserved it. I, I didn't think, uh, you know, Drive My Car was good, but it wasn't like, oh man, whoever made that definitely needs to win the Best Director Oscar. And that's that's the only other movie I've seen out of this list, unfortunately. So I was like, yeah, Jane Campion, Power of the Dog. Yeah, that just makes sense. She's a fucking great director. Yeah, man, she competes against the men too. So you gotta, you gotta give it to her. There's a certain type of movie that always seems to win this. Let me, I'm just going to read out really quickly the movies that have won Best Director since 2010, going backwards. Power of the Dog, Nomadland, Parasite, Roma, The Shape of Water, La La Land, The Revenant, Birdman, Gravity, Life of Pi, Artist, The Artist, and The King's Speech, which maybe with two exceptions are movies that I'm like, I'm not sure I'd want to watch that a second time ever. So I don't know why they don't reward movies that I enjoy more than some of these fluffier kind of, you know, film festival movies, which I enjoy as well. But I think those always end up getting the nod for best director. Uh, Coming back to Jane Campion, I think Power of the Dog was a movie that for me, probably not a lot of basketball fans on this pod, but kind of like the Phoenix Suns as a basketball team. You know, good offense, not the best offense, good defense, not the best defense, good coaching, not the best coaching, just solid all around in a lot of areas, but not fantastic in any one area, which is kind of how I thought Power of the Dog was. And that went with the directing as well. I thought Jane Campion did a good job. I don't know if it was a fantastic job, but 
I admittedly have not seen the other movies on this list. So it's hard to say whether or not it was a better performance than, you know, Steven Spielberg or, or PTA. Um, but it was well-directed, so uh, not undeserving for a Jane Campion. My only qualm is that it's usually the power of the dogs that end up winning over, wasn't even any other, like, bigger movies nominated. So I'd like to see that change, but good for Jane Campion. I think she she probably deserved it. So which of those 10 would you rewatch? You said maybe two? Gravity and Parasite, I think, are the only ones I would rewatch. See, I guess that's where I push back, and that's where I put that challenge out to everyone to just watch those movies because I would say that these movies are rewatchable. But I would rewatch Gravity, Birdman, The Shape of Water, Parasite. I would rewatch The Power of the Dog. I don't love The Power of the Dog, but yeah, just interesting. I feel like that's where people have that thought process where it's like Oscar films is what you're kind of talking about. And I think a lot of times, like, The Shape of Water is a fun film. It's a Guillermo del Toro movie. That's, like, not Oscar bait necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. We'll get to Best Picture now. We're not going to talk about all the nominations. But I think you look at Best Picture this year, and people always complain about, like, popcorn films and stuff like that not getting nominated. I think you got a great diversity of films in Best Picture this year. Yeah. Is that is that because the Academy's changing? Is that because the popcorn films were the only ones that had enough of a guaranteed audience that they could be put out in a COVID year. I don't know, but I agree. This, it's definitely a better, more diverse selection than usual. We'll see that last next uh, going into next year. I think it's also like, maybe I will do a quick rundown of the 10 nominated, but I think it's also like Dune, for example, is an artsy film. In my opinion, it's a Denny Villeneuve movie, but it's also a popcorn movie. It's a sci-fi epic, dude. It's not something that is like you need to be a film nerd to be into. So I don't know, but let's get into it. Best picture. We're here. The winner of this was Coda, which again, people were not necessarily too excited about. The Power of the Dog was the favorite at the beginning. Then Coda won some awards and became the favorite by the end, only by a hair at the end. It was still very much a toss up, but Coda did win. And I'll go through it real quick. It's Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story. Those were the nominations. So Coda is kind of its own category. Belfast is the artsy black and white film, right? West Side Story is a musical. Dune's a sci-fi popcorn movie. Drive My Car is a form movie. Licorice Pizza is a period piece that's done by an auteur although i mean i'm not saying that other people like dune and the power of the dog are done by auteurs as well but the power of the dog is a western nightmare alley is it's a noir but it's gdt right so and then king richard is a biopic so look at that diversity there and i don't think it's necessarily just because it's a covid year but yeah that's a rundown of it i think that there's complaints that can be made about the oscars but i don't necessarily think the types of films that are getting nominated or at least the way people complain about the types of films that get nominated is where i would complain about it at least my complaint about the types of films that would be nominated would be that we need even more diversity and like i like seeing more foreign films get nominated i think that you know if we are nominating foreign films for best picture then it's ridiculous to only have like one or two in certain years like i think that you should have even more than that because you gotta if we are recognizing if it's not just an american award ceremony then it's ridiculous to be like, oh, nine of the best 
picture films are are from America because that's just not fair, you know. So that would be my complaint about the content of the films. But a little bit of a tangent there. The winner was Coda. You guys have anything to say about it? Let's hear it. I was surprised that Coda won, but I wasn't mad about it. It's a great movie. It's rewatchable. It's a family movie. Like I, I was as soon as I finished it, I was telling people like. I have no qualms recommending this movie to anybody. This is a movie that you can easily recommend to just about anybody. And it's a great film. So, yeah, good for them. I'm happy that Coda won. I'm not uh, upset that, you know, somebody else got snubbed or anything like that. It's a good flick. Another basketball uh, analogy here, as I mentioned earlier, a big basketball fan. Some years in the NBA, there's a very clear MVP who runs away with it. And some years they get to the end of the season and no one's really claimed it. And it's kind of just like, uh, well, I guess we're going with this person for MVP. And, you know, they, this I think is probably somewhere in the middle and admittedly I haven't, I haven't seen Coda, but I wasn't surprised at all at one. I think the wind was blowing that way the past few weeks going into the show. So I think it made sense. I'm flipping back through some of the past uh, best picture winners from the past decade or so. I am one person who's of the opinion that it should kind of just be like, it should be like the movie of the year, you know, not in a popcorn sense, but also one of the, the better pictures. Like you should be able to look back a few years ago and look at the year and be like, all right, that, that was a movie that should have won. So we'll, see if Coda stands the test of time. I saw half of these movies and of them, I'm not sure any really deserve to win. So I think that makes it even more likely that Coda was probably deserving. King Richard, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, Dune, Don't Look Up are the ones I saw. Among those, I think Nightmare Alley was probably my favorite. So yeah, I think Coda probably deserved to win this one. Is it, you know, like LeBron's 2013 season or Steph's unanimous 2016 season in terms of running away with the best pitcher? No, but it's probably a deserving winner. So I think uh, I was content to see them win. I will say they give out that award for movie of the year. It's called Our Dollars. That's the box office. (laughs) Yeah, it's not, uh, you know, not the biggest movie, but just the, you know, you look back, you look at the list of movies, what was, the, what was the movie that year? No, I know what you're saying. I would say that if you're going to do that, you need two awards. You, you don't replace Best Picture with that, I don't think. Because Best Picture is what the Academy voted on. It doesn't matter how many people saw it. Doesn't matter how many. doesn't matter how much money it made. It matters what the people who voted on thought of it because they saw it. Or, you know, hopefully they're all like Kristen Dunst who saw all the movies because she's a voter. Ripped straight from the headlines. So that is all the awards. We've discussed all the winners. If you guys have any final thoughts on the Oscars as a whole or any of the winners slash snubs, I know I want to shout out Red Rocket real quick. Definitely the biggest snub for me was Simon Rex and Red Rocket. Not only do I think Simon Rex should have been deserving, but I would have kicked out at least four of the films for Red Rocket on Best Picture. And I think that Simon Rex should have been talked about for Best Director and should pretty much be talked about for Best Director in all of his movies because I'm a huge fan of his work. Actor, you mean? I said Simon Rex and I meant Sean Baker. There you go. I just think they... 
I just hope the Oscars go back to making the show for film lovers and not trying to please all these different groups at once because this was such a slog to get through. It was disjointed. Uh, it was just like from segment to segment with no real flow. The comedy bits didn't work. The whole thing got overshadowed by a physical altercation between two stars. That's all anyone's talking about. They're not talking about the winners. That's just really disappointing to me. And I hope next year we can actually just, and I'm, I'm sounding like Greg Turkington from On Cinema, but I, I hope we can just focus on the movies, you know? Yeah. They had the, the similar performance as like, you know, a high school football team doing like best of the year awards. But I think they could do a lot better. I agree. I think they should go back to, um, yeah, doing it for movie lovers. You know, you're not going to get the other people anyway. Uh, a few things I want to call out. As much as I dislike most of her work, I actually think Amy Schumer did a pretty good job as one of the hosts. I think that's the most I've laughed with her on stage. I, I see the rest of the group disagreeing, but I had to be honest. I, I thought it was good watching it back. The only moment from her that got a laugh out of me was when she walked out and she was like, did something happen? <laughs> the, the vibe is off. I was like, okay, that's funny. That was good. The Spider-Man stuff was good. I don't know. She, uh, I had very, very low expectations, and she definitely surpassed them. I would try to do a better job keeping it to three hours in the future. I mean, come on. But, yeah, I think it's a tough line to toe between appealing to a wider audience for views and not losing the people that uh, want to see the movies. So I'm glad it's not my responsibility to make those decisions. But unfortunately i'll be watching either way either year so just help me out help me out next year oscars they don't make the movies anymore that used to get nominated and used to draw people in that's the problem the big budget movies now are marvel movies that aren't going to be other than your black panthers and something else was nominated for something as well that wasn't like visual effects but i know black panther was nominated for best picture but other than that, generally those types of movies aren't going to be nominated, but a film like Titanic can do well and be the biggest film of the year and also draw people in for the Oscars, right? You don't see that as often anymore, unfortunately. And because of that, I'm not even for the three-hour runtime, like you said, Kari. I want to make sure we get all the awards shown. And I've never said this before, but cut out the bits, man. In my opinion, just get rid of the bits. I don't need the bits. I, want, I don't need the bits and the skits. I want the awards. And that's it. And I want to let people talk, give the award winners time to give their speeches. Maybe if they're going too, too long, you know, start playing the music. But I'm down for the speeches. That's what I'm here for. I want to see who won. And I want to hear the person who won talk about it. So that's my final thoughts. I couldn't agree more. They cut it down to just a little bit of opening jokes, you know, some jokes in between the introductions and mostly just the speeches and the awards. I'd be perfectly content with that. Some of the skits were so painful to watch this year. The Regina Hall groping all these, like bringing oh, men up from the so audience bad. to grope them. I was like, who is this for? No one flagged that from like the initial conception all the way to like the rehearsals. No one was like, who just cut this out, guys? <laughs> hey, this is, yeah, this is problematic. Like Jason Momoa is married. What are you doing? I don't know. That was so bad. Yeah. Get rid of all that stuff. Trim off the fat. Let's just have the lean and and let people give longer speeches. Don't play off the director of Drive My Car three times. That shit pissed me off. Yeah, uh, I'm with you guys.
Yeah, that's a great point. We get like four minutes of Wanda Sykes like wandering through the movie thing, and then the person who worked on their movie for six months gets like 90 seconds. It's like, ah, come on. Two and a half years, more like. Yeah, no. Let him let him speak. That wraps up this week's bonus episode. Kari, thank you for joining us. You were a great guest. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hopefully we can have you be a re-recurring guest in the future. Yeah, we'll see. Since that is the end of the show, we also want to thank our fans. We do appreciate you. Thank you for sticking around to the end. Thank you for continuing to listen. And thank you to all our new listeners as well. Remember, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us anywhere by searching the letters G, D, T. And while you're there, subscribe to us and leave a five-star review. We really appreciate all our five-star reviews, folks. And we do read out one of them on our full-length episodes on Friday. Like I said, make sure you subscribe so you can follow along with all of our episodes. This Friday, we have an interview with Gavin Rothery, who created the film Archive, which is available to stream on Prime Video. Next Wednesday, we will have a bonus episode where we discuss Batman Begins. We are starting a miniseries on the Nolan Batman trilogy, releasing every Wednesday for the next few weeks. So stick around for those. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GoodDataPod and on Facebook at GDT Podcast. Check us out there. Check out all our previous episodes. And we will talk to you again on Friday. Thank you for sticking around, folks. We love you. See you on Friday. Be careful of the devil coming for you, all you guys at your highest point. Have a good day.